Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. I left my home in Georgia, headed for the Frisco Bay. Cause I've had nothing to live for, and look like nothing's gonna come my way. So I'm just gonna sit. On the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Look like nothing's gonna change Everything still remains the same What ten people tell me to do So I guess I'll remain the same Sitting here resting my bones And this loneliness won't leave me alone This two thousand miles I roam Just to make this dock my home Now I'm just gonna sit at the dock of a bay Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So by the time you hear this song, that's right where I'll be, uh, San Francisco Bay, going out there for a due diligence thing. I'm, I'm really looking forward to my, I haven't been there in about 35 years. And uh, it'll be interesting, uh, I'm sure. Um, in in one of the earlier, uh, I think last week, I talked about San Francisco as, as kind of a money center of the West. Mark Twain uh, wrote a book called Roughing It. It was about his experiences living in Nevada, uh, during the gold rush years of say 1870s, uh, roughly in in that period of time, and he talked about uh, how the San Francisco banks and brokers would uh, fund these quote gold companies that were total shams. I mean, you know, you think there's financial slickery that goes on today. Go back to the 1870s. I mean, it was everything kind of right after the Civil War. Of course, you had the Ulysses S. Grant Presidential Administration, which was one of the most scandal-ridden, you know, it it makes all this stuff today look about normal. But um, he he would talk about how they'd you know some they go in there, they'd they'd, uh, dig out a big cave and 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 then somebody would go in and put some 
gold in there, you know, that they'd gotten somewhere. And they come, some guy come out running and said, look at here, you know, look what we just brought out of there. It would have been brought in from saying, might not have even been gold. Might have been pyrite or something. And then the next thing you know, they capitalize the thing at, you know, a million dollars, which is real money back then, and sell shares in it. And the guys would walk away with, you know, three or 400,000 bucks in their pocket for a hole in the ground. And this went on over and and they could not not do this. Um, but if you think about it, if you look at the companies in San Francisco that were created during the gold boom, there was only a few of them, maybe a handful that survived and they didn't have anything to do with gold. You know what one of them is? Yes. <laughs> Levi Strauss. Mm -hmm. Yep. They supplied the miners though. That's right. Also Wells Fargo, uh, you know, that's what I mean. Why I was going to say Wells Fargo. Yeah, Wells Fargo, and uh, but so much of it was based on uh, really nothing, you know. But to that to that same point, I mean, it was a mania. Now there was it fraud it, that was fraudulent, but it well, was it's fraudulent to go into a hole in the ground and put a piece of yeah. gold in there and say we're finding gold in here. Yeah, you know. But it was it was. They were taking advantage of a mania that was going on. You look at what happened the last, you know, Absolutely. in 2020, uh, you know, the, the NFTs, you know, all the, the non-fungible tokens. Did you see you know, the those thing things. in the – I saw this on Yahoo Finance, like, sometime last night. FTX approached Taylor Swift with a $100 million deal to promote – to sell tickets as NFTs or something. And, you know – and evidently her father worked at Merrill Lynch or somebody. And he said, these are unregistered securities. And she asked the question, would we be selling unregistered securities? And they couldn't answer it that they wouldn't be. So she passed on the deal. Uh, whether she was smart enough to figure it out, which I sort of doubt, or she had people behind her that, you know, said this is a bad deal. That's right. Uh, and then Brady and all these people are getting sued for a lot of money because they did promote Matt Damon ought to get his butt sued. Yeah. off. I mean, because that guy was way out in front of all this. So anyway, all right. Big question with dollar under fire from rival countries and currencies. What happens to markets if the greenback loses its dominance? Now, I'm going to make a little political statement here, and then you guys pick it up. I've told our congressman from the very start that this sanctions against Russia was a bad idea. And I couldn't really explain why I knew it was a bad idea. Then I heard a guy on TV explain it really well for me, and he said all the stuff that I was kind of intuitively thinking. Number one, I've studied Russia for a long time, since – college years it is a resource rich country it's not a dollar rich country like we are we've got we're dollar rich because we printed a bunch of them but it's a resource resource rich country and a resource rich country can always find a way to monetize its holdings even if they have to do it on the quote black market so and uh 
what we've done is we've used our currency as a weapon. And I and our congressman actually said, well, of course we're doing that. It, that's why we do it is to use it as a weapon. There comes a point when you can't do it anymore. What you do is you force people, you're, you're trying to, all these things the government does is an attempt to adjust behavior. You put sanctions on a country, bad country, bad country. <laughs> and what you're doing is you're trying to adjust behavior. Behavior will get adjusted, but it may not be in a way that you think is going to be uh, good for you. Yeah. And what it's done by making the dollar a weapon and forbidding oil trades from Russia in dollars, you're now pushing them to other currencies. And the and he he denies it. You know, they they told me that they were all watching some uh, uh, Russia uh, war criminal trials. All the Congress people, they are obsessed with Ukraine and Russia. Meanwhile, our border is so porous, but they're this is this is bigger than Ukraine. It's 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 something else. I don't quite grasp it, but this is a big problem for why why we're having trouble with the dollar. I mean, when smaller countries who are developing see that we will use the dollar as a weapon, they're going to think twice about settling trades in the dollar. Now, China's going to do it too, but they're coming they're better salesmen than we are right now. All we care about is uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, making sure every transgender person in the world has got a safe space. That's our, that's our agenda. It isn't the stuff that 99.9% .9 of the world cares about. It's the stuff that the goofballs running our government care about. And so people are looking at the U.S. dollar and saying, this country's gone crazy. All right. Thank you, guys. So the angle I was looking at from is from the an investment standpoint. Um, now we'll, we'll we'll talk about our portfolio, some of the things that we invest in that you know ties in with this. But when you look at the dollar index, uh, so there, there's uh, the U.S. the ICE U.S. dollar index, the DXY. If you look back over the last ten years, you know in 2014. Uh, the index was around 80. Um, it peaked last year at, say, it was about 112, uh, right around there. And right now it's at about 101. So that's it, the decline of the dollar versus a basket of other currencies. Yes. So it, it's, it's, it's the dollar value relative to a basket of currencies. So in the, in for 2022, you had, the the decline in the index uh or it, but what if you look at it in perspective you look long term on this the dollar index is still much higher than it was in 2014 you look back all the way to 2010 uh, it was you know 60 or around 70 or so at that point um and so it's you think of it like a stock chart you have the day-to-day -day noise that's going on and the financial media is out there. They're putting out 
fear, and greed. That's what they're always putting out there. And right now, people are getting caught up in, is the dollar going to lose reserve currency status? And they're extrapolating that out to the investment side of things. And so... So, Louie, how are you liking it? (laughs) I like the dollar. I think the dollar is uh, (laughs) a fine thing. (laughs) The more, the better. I'm sorry, finish your so, thought. <laughs> That's w- while, while there are issues, you know, um, with what we're doing, there's repercussions with that in the short run. Don't let that um, totally shape your investment thesis. You look at, okay, if the dollar continues to weaken, what will that do to your investments? Right. Um, right. You, we, we talked some about it last week, but I think it, 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 it warrants talking about again. You look at the oil investments, the oil companies that we own for our clients. You know, these are companies that are dealing in a commodity. Yeah. And to your point. And it's going to price itself on an international basis regardless of what happens to one currency or another. Exactly. And especially the large multinationals, these companies have always dealt with currency fluctuations. I mean, that's, that's, that's really what they are. They, they, they deal in, they have a product or products that they sell, but they manage currency fluctuations around the world. Sale. Sale. (laughs) It's a joke. There's two A's in that. Yeah. Um, I thought it was S-A-Y. Sale. Sale. It's Boyd County slips out. It just comes out occasionally. At least one time a show. I'm sorry. One time a show. I have to have fun with you on that. But these these companies, that's what, I mean, an oil company, they deal with a volatile commodity. And they, they have learned how to mitigate that volatility, how to look long-term and be profitable dealing with that volatile commodity. Sometimes they mitigate it at the wrong time, but uh, no, absolutely they do. Yeah. Well, what you're also not talking about on this discussion on the dollar is the interest rates that people are getting on bonds about issued by the sovereign nation. So it's been uh, for several years, U S has the highest interest rate on, uh, on their bonds. So people are overseas are going to put their excess cash into dollars because they get more on it. Well, actually the, the gilts are a little higher right well, now. Well, that's what I was getting ready to say, and that's part of why the dollars dropped, because the gilts, which is the British sovereign debt, that's uh, slightly higher on the on their interest yeah, rates. So they, they're like they're, 4% on the long end. Right. And ahead of us right now, we're about 350 roughly. Yeah. And, and so this recent – I've been out there. We, we're running ads. You know, we've written it to our clients that we think longer-term interest rates are – or a buy, you know, as soon as I put all that stuff out there, what does it do? It goes higher, you know, <laughs> that's, that's this business. I think some of that is the fed saying one guy, one fed governor Bostic out of Atlanta saying only one more increase The St. Louis guy saying there could be several. Um, then you have all this rumbling about the dollar reserve currency problems, all these tr- treasury bonds coming back home to roost. Those are putting pressure on the 10-year. The 10-year got as cheap as a 3.62 yield. Yesterday touched on that. I think it's around a 357 this morning. 
I haven't checked. It has been volatile. Two weeks ago, it was at a 328. So uh, you will see, and we will talk about the 10-year treasury quite a bit. Why? Because it's kind of the benchmark uh, in terms of the riskless rate of return. However, there's a whole other set of issues in terms of the market makers in treasuries where capital has been pulled away from market making in U.S. treasuries right at a time when they need it the most. So a lot of these guys that are in the bond business are not taking down big positions as principal. They're working as agent or just trying to flip bonds from one account to another, make a small markup. Well, and what that does that just that adds to volatility. That's that's essentially it adds a, to volatility. A, it, it's it's a market not functioning as smoothly as it, it isn't typically does, and so it adds to volatility. And Silicon Valley Bank and the Signature Bank up in New York, those failures certainly didn't help the the case. And then you're seeing after earnings come out that Bank of America is among the banks that are looking to sell their some of their underwater bank. Uh, or bond holdings in their bank portfolio. So, well, that, uh, that's, now that's been going on forever. People right. would, and here's what they do when they do that. You can sell, let's say you've got a one and a half percent coupon that's trading at 88 cents on the dollar right now. Uh, and you own it at par, or maybe it don't, it's, it could be as cheap as 85 right now. You sell that bond, book the loss, Turn around, you cannot buy the same bond, but you could buy a similar coupon and maturity. It's got to be a different QCIP number. QCIP is the identifying number for every uh, security out there. Every security has a nine-digit QCIP. Um, you buy a different QCIP, but it could have a same coupon and same maturity or close to the same maturity. And now you've locked you haven't lost that yield in case the market rallies while you're sitting on cash. You can actually do a bond swaps. We used to do them all the time when I was in the bond business. You know, you had people that had a 6% coupon, and in the early 80s, municipals were trading at a 12 basis, 48 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar for a bond you paid par for. You sell that bond, book the loss, and then buy, um, buy a – Similar coupon and maturity. Well, it's adding to the volatility, certainly in the market. It is. So that's why you're seeing these wild swings. And you're seeing a lot in the short end, too, which which we don't normally see because the Fed theoretically controls all that. So you've seen some big moves in just the three-month treasury, the 90-day T-bill, uh, as well as the two years. So, I mean, wild swings that are they're comparable to the 10-year. And uh, that's it's just got people scratching their heads that you have never done this all their lives. You never thought when you came over here you'd become a bond expert, did you? No. <laughs> of course, where I was before, I never thought I would become an economist, but that's what I became. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, jack of all trades, that's the way to survive in this business. I can't tell you how many times I've reinvented myself. So, But I, I, I do believe that, you know, to find value, uh, you got to be able to look in all kinds of markets at all kinds of things. Right. And, you know, what you're looking for is a business at a reasonable price that produces a good or service that's going to outstrip inflation and taxes. Now, 
sometimes you find those businesses, but they're trading at 35 times earnings, you know, which means the only way you're going to make money there is if the market's at some point willing to pay 40 times earnings or earnings go up enough that it stays at the same PE and you make some money. But the, the, the problem is always going to be, it's almost, it's twofold. The business, a good business and the valuation, you know, and then you get into issues of liquidity, you know, how much of it can I buy? You know, some stocks are great. If you sell a hundred thousand shares of them, it knocks the market 4%, you know, so there are all kinds of considerations and that's why Warren Buffett is having such a hard time finding stuff to buy these days because he needs to buy a lot of something without moving the market too much or just buy the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and the, the things like the dollar and commodity prices, I mean, that's, those are macro things. Um, when when you look at an individual company, you're you're getting down in the weeds with management. You know you're, you're seeing how do these macro things impact it. But the markets like to climb that wall of worry. They do, and we've seen that this year. The market knows what's going on with the dollar. It knows what it knows all yeah. this, and so don't let uh, fear of some kind of a macro thing dissuade you from having a long term investment plan. Right. All right, that's a wrap for this segment. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Mike Johnson, Chad Sturzel, and our host, Tom Dupree. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Financial Hour. Stay tuned. So I'm just going to sit on the dock of the bay Watching the tide away My name is Tom Dupree. Rarely in my time in the investment business, Have I seen the kind of opportunity I see today? I'm talking about interest rates, which I believe will be going significantly lower in the next 18 months. I believe it's time to lock in longer-term rates now. Short-term rates on money market funds, bank accounts, and CDs can drop dramatically when rates begin to decline. Don't be lulled into complacency. It's time to invest to establish your yields for the long haul. At Dupree Financial Group, we specialize in retirement investing. Let us help you by calling 859-233-0400 and setting up a complimentary meeting with us to examine your investment portfolio. Listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturday mornings at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com.
much too long There's a permanent crease in your right and wrong Stand There's a midget standing tall And a giant beside him about to fall Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us this hour, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill with backups, Tom Dupree, and also our host, Tom. All right, turn it up. Now that, that's Sly and the Family Stone, my favorite song by them. Uh, you know, San Francisco Bay Area funk, F-O-N-K. Once again, we needed a video of him dancing ah, to that song. That is song. a hell of a song. That's just such, that is tight. And poor guy, you know, he's not doing well these days I hear. But I mean, you know, who knows? I'd say he did a lot of masculine or whatever <laughs> over the years that uh that's a salad mix isn't it ayahuasca <laughs> yeah that probably uh contributed to his cognitive uh decline but poor guy i mean you know what a what a musician mm-hmm. what what an incredible musician because they they kind of they were like Jimi hendrix in a way they brought in R&B, blues, uh, even Motown, and then made it kind of psychedelia. I mean, if you listen to Jimi Hendrix, a lot of his guitar riffs, they're just pure Muddy Waters or Bo Diddley or somebody like that. I mean, they're, you know, or or, uh, John Lee Hooker. I mean, they're they're just blues riffs. But then he's got this thing that he does that's, and this is kind of what they did too. And the problem is the personalities that would be involved in producing that kind of music would also probably be in terms of lifestyle way out on the edge and it takes its toll on people. So, you know, that's, I don't know. They're creating something new, very new. And, 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 you know, they've got to have some confidence that, they're doing exactly what they're doing. All right. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about um, kind of an update on the, the banking issues. <clears throat> um, you had all – everybody knows what's going on with the banks. Um, back in start of March is when, when things started there. I don't really know. I mean, kind of explain well, yeah, it a little bit. Well, so, uh, Some of so them basi- do not know. So basically, <clears throat> the banks, the, it started with uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Um, they had massive uh, uh, withdrawals of deposits, and they 
own bonds and basically where interest rates had gone up, the value of those bonds had gone down when the depositors pulled their deposits, they had to liquidate bonds and the losses there wiped out the equity of the bank. So the bank right. went under. Now, which could happen to any bank at any time. Right. I mean, quite frankly, even the very biggest, you got it. Yeah. It could happen to JP Morgan. It could happen to B of A where everybody pulls their money out of the bank and you know, your money is not locked in in a bank. That's why we don't really own many commercial banks. We just bought Schwab, but they're more, they're different than a bank. We do own insurance companies mm -hmm. because when you pay the premium, the only way it's like if you've made a deposit into the bank, if, if the insurance company were the bank, you've made a deposit and you ain't getting your deposit out unless you have a claim, right? An insurance claim, which means that that becomes float. What's float? It's a semi-permanent thing in there. I'm just injecting this as you talk about banks yeah. to make sure people understand that we understand the hazards of the banking system. And that w that's why we're reticent to make a lot of investments in straight up commercial banks. That's Go right. Ahead. Well, and, and to that point, um, you need to know the mechanics of whatever you're invested in, you know, be it a mutual fund. A mutual fund has mechanics that can work against it. Sort you of better like believe a, it. Sort Just of like, like a, a bank. bank. Like a bank. Because if the the an open end mutual an open fund, end not mutual, an ETF right. or a closed end. Right. An open different. An open end mutual fund. If uh, investors in the fund liquidate their shares, the fund manager has to raise cash, which is like depositors pull their money out because they have to raise cash to meet those redemptions, which can change the holdings of the fund. So knowing will change will absolutely will change. Um, you look at uh, something like an ETF, uh, you have the arbitrage. So you don't have uh, that same mechanics. You don't have the redemptions that have to be met because the open market does that. You look at closed end funds, closed end funds have a fixed number of shares that are trading. So the fund itself can trade at premiums or discounts to its net asset value. Right now back on the banks though, you've you that situation seems to have kind of uh leveled out right. um you you've you've seen deposits actually uh, uh one of the regional banks uh here <clears throat> i think it was yesterday or the day before they had net deposits in um and bank of america they they released their earnings um but what you've seen because interest rates have come down those unrealized losses on the asset side have shrunk. Uh, Bank right. of America uh, back in, let's see, when was it? Uh, so they, at, at its worst, um, they had, it was about 45% of their equity uh, could have been lost because of the unrealized uh, losses. Right. Um, on their newest, uh, or their, their earnings, uh, the held to maturity losses shrunk to ninety nine billion. It was over a hundred right, billion. So held to maturity. That yep. means you're gonna hold it to maturity. So they don't count it against your capital unless you had to unravel things based on people pulling their money out. If it's held to maturity, so there's two ways the bank can get in trouble there. Everybody pulls their money out. Or um, you get upside down on your uh, 
what you're paying out on deposits versus what you're earning on assets. In other words, you're earning 1.5% on your assets and you're paying out 3% on your deposits. That's a cash flow problem for, for a bank. We've talked about vintages, uh, investment vintages, uh, people who come in, bring their assets in like right now. They're going to have different results than somebody that brought their assets in six months to a year ago, and they'll have different uh, they'll have different results than somebody brings in their money in six months or a year from now because you're buying things at a different price at a different place in the market. Banks are the same way. They put on a bunch of loans and assets at an X interest rate uh, price in the market. They're paying X for deposits. They're making a spread at that point in time, which is what? Paying X for deposits and paying a multiple of X or earning a multiple of X on their assets. The multiple of X that they're earning has to be higher than X. X is what they're paying out. 2X maybe is what they're earning. That's how you make your spread in commercial banking. But the ground can shift. If interest rates go up, now you got to pay more on your deposits to keep them. What happened was the banks were hoping people wouldn't notice that people are paying 4% on money market funds and that they're keeping the money in the bank at zero or 0.6. So, Well, it, and you have on the, the spread, that net interest margin spread you're talking about, Tom, you have some uh, cases where these banks that got bailed out, they got money from uh, – regional federal home loan banks, et cetera, they were paying much higher. They were paying over 4% on that money and they had loans locked in at lower rates. So they were upside down and they had to, that was only a temporary measure, but that's, that's why there's continued to be some stress in the market. Why people are really carefully looking at balance sheets before they're investing and deciding right. whether to own the, own the bank or not. But the, the reality is that we need a lot of banks. Uh, we can't just have five big banks that, uh, that dominate and, uh, or else there, there's not going to be business created. I mean, these regional banks have done most of the lending for the development for these different properties in the cities let around me, the country. Let me tell you something right next door to us. You got a, uh, office, big building. It says chase on it. Nobody I know borrows money from chase here in town. I mean, I, I, I tell you who's doing a lot of business, uh, West Banco, George Wallace over there making a lot of loans to people that are in, in the business. I mean, I, it's, he's a friend of mine. I, I know George, Matt white up here at uh, people's exchange bank. They're making loans. Uh, you got people used to be Bill Alverson over at traditional. I don't know who their loan officer is now. Uh, you know, truest. Are you kidding me? I tried to get a mortgage there one time. It was like they used to be BB and T forget it. I mean, they're, you know, these, these, these money center banks and the super regionals. I mean, you, they're not geared to the markets like this. I mean, they probably do some business around here with the bigger companies, but they're tougher to deal with in terms of how regulated they are and that kind of thing. Well, Those banks may as well not even be in these markets. Well, Kentucky, uh, Bank One, Chase, uh, J.P. Morgan, they pulled out of the trust business in Kentucky about a decade ago. They've been out of it for ago. years. Yeah, because 
there just wasn't enough money here to justify having the expense of an and, office. And I got and a lecture from uh, one of their board members who's a, a guy who was a pretty prominent businessman in town years ago. He doesn't live here anymore, but I, I won't say his name, but he was well-known. I said, you guys will be out of here in 10 years, effectively out of here. Oh, he gave me this big lecture, got up in my face. We love Lexington. Da, da, it's a great market. Well, I was right, and he was wrong. I mean, and the the thing of it is, uh, your smaller banks are more entrepreneurial. Charlie Beach up here and Matt White at uh, People's Exchange Bank, they are very creative. I hear Bank of the Bluegrass does a real good job, um, and you've got you've got others. Uh, Fork Bank is a good bank. These people are banking this market. That's who's banking this market. You know, don't, don't be, don't kid yourself. It's, it's, it's the smaller guys that are hustling for the business. Right. So if we were only dependent on the large banks, we trouble. wouldn't have any development in Lexington going on. There would be no economic growth, really. Well, there isn't any right now because of the, the local government. But anyway, <laughs> no, Luther Deaton, I forgot to say Luther. Luther has built that bank, Central Bank, from... <laughs> 20-fold, 30-fold, and 50-fold maybe. I don't know, but 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 he says that there's no growth in the Lexington market. It's all taking place Georgetown, Winchester, you know, northern Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, they got branches in northern Kentucky. Now, taking a step back, here's, here's why we're talking about banking, why we're talking about the dollar, oil prices, all this stuff. For the last 10 years, a lot of people, their their investment portfolio is just, it's been on autopilot because the market, quote unquote, has just, you know, you've had the growth. You had the FANG stocks going up, valuations going through the roof, and it's just been on autopilot. Things are different. And I'm not saying things are different this time, but things have changed in the last year. Things were different when that was going on. Because, They're going back to normal now. Exactly. Yeah. Because right. we were in that low interest rate environment, the growth stocks were growing. So market cap weighted indexes were going up. So the market was increasing and you throw a dart and you're making money. And most people out there, be it a 401k it could be a quote-unquote professionally managed account. It's been on autopilot. It's just been stagnant. Things have changed. Right. If we're in an environment where growth isn't growing, and especially if you're taking distributions from that portfolio, how are you going to justify taking the distributions if growth isn't growing? Um, you know, if because the Wait whole— Wait a minute, Mike. We— we had lunch yesterday, and you were beating up on me about being too focused on dividends. Well, hey, <laughs> hey, now we we, we got to look at we got to look at both sides. It's a balance Come on, here, Mike. It's a balance. I'm, bu- I'm gonna bust it. We're looking <laughs> yeah. bust him on this. It's a balance. We're looking yeah. out for the short all term these young people, and the long term. All these young people, they're not gonna buy into this dividend well, thing because they're not taking distributions. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I, and, I, I'm messing and, with and you. Here's, I'm, I'm having some fun with. And you. here's the difference: if you're taking distributions. <laughs> We've talked about it and talked about it, but I'm going to say it again. Sequence of return risk. and Granny, if, Granny's getting out of her rocking chair that's here. That's exactly right. <laughs> Granny's standing up. Them's fighting words. <laughs> I'm going to spit my teeth out here in a second. <laughs> so, 
if you're taking distributions, oh god, you need to have something I don't that's know coming. How, where in I'd the, have more fun than doing this show. Something really. getting paid to you, and that comes from the dividends. Yeah, that's and true. if otherwise you got to be selling growth stocks at a profit and selling off a piece of your growth stock every right. year. And people think about, and this is how they think: they think their retirement fund is a checking account, and that their returns are like a CD that pays 8 or 9% a year. In other words, in their mind, they don't think about dips. They think about a straight line return where I can. But when you really yep. ask most people, and we've seen this in seminars, you, how many of you have an IR, our, our 401k? Every hand goes up. How many of you contribute to it every month? Every hand goes up. How many of you have a plan for taking income from that 401k when you retire, no hands go up. What they've been doing is throwing money in there in good markets, bad markets, flat markets, sideways markets, down markets, up markets, every kind of market. Every month, it goes out like clockwork. That's great. That is dollar cost averaging. It's what we talk about. Yep. Nobody thinks in terms of how I'm going to turn that 401k into income. What most of them will end up doing is just liquidating it until it runs out. You better. And then somebody's told them, you know, put it in cash at that point. Well, what if cash didn't pay anything? You've almost put it into a checking account yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And we want to try to help people invest it in such a way as that the, the the securities in there pay enough of a dividend so they don't have to liquidate all their principal. Right. And the reason we're talking about these different sectors, that's the research part of it. Because it's not just a blind buy the market um, because then you are banking on growth. And if you're taking the distributions, you know you're going to be taking X, X dollars a month. Right. You don't know that the market's going to return X dollars that month. With dividends, it's much more consistent. Predictable. More predictable. Um, you know, we have one company that's on their 63rd year of raising dividends. Now, over that time, the price has also gone up over a long period of time, but you've had ups and downs in the stock price. But it's that income stream that's been very consistent. Um, and so it's it's always the balancing act. It depends on your situation. If you're taking income from the portfolio or taking distributions from the portfolio, you need something that's coming in on a more consistent basis than just growth. Right. Well, you, you have to take a look at the, the client's time horizon. And right. you, what Tom was talking about earlier was the, at the seminars was the accumulation phase. People aren't thinking about their decumulation phase. How are they going to spend it? How are they not going to run out of money? And I'm sure some of that's because they don't know what the balance is going to be when they do retire and they start. But that's where the financial planning is so important because particularly as you get about five years away from retirement, you really need to start getting your game plan together. Uh, and, and that's and where most people haven't somebody. even thought about it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's part of our mission here is to try to remind people this is all about, I mean, it's, it's your money and you have a unique situation and we want to fine tune your plan for your situation and not try to do just the standard, whatever everybody else is getting from the, 
CNBC or some other news source to doing what they tell you to do. It's right. very custom. I we, think Kramer's great at picking stuff. We want to remind you that nothing that you hear on the show is a recommendation a to buy or sell. Please consult a professional. In the third hour, we're going to, third time's a charm, we're going to try to air the Sue and Howard Proctor hour, which has been uh, software at the station, has not allowed the second segment to air. So we are going to air that yet again. But think we will, maybe Elizabeth's a little unhappy about I that? I am not pleased because we work hard to put out a good product. Um, but we will always remind everyone that you can go to DupreeFinancial.com and listen to segments in their entirety. You can correct, also call the, the station form. and tell them to get our show right. That's right. And you can also, if you want us to look at your portfolio, 859-233-0400. We'll be back in just a few minutes with our third time is a charm, Sue and Howard Proctor. Stay tuned.